impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. Welcome to the Modern Man Podcast, where we connect men in pursuit of their potential. Join us as we embrace discomfort, cultivate community, and put wind in each other's sails. If you're ready to take your personal and professional growth to the next level, be sure to like, share, and subscribe the podcast. And don't forget to check out the Noble Knights Mastermind Group, where you'll find the support, accountability, and mentorship you need to achieve your goals. Join us and become a part of a community of like-minded men on a mission to improve themselves and elevate their lives and their capacity for life as we get wind in our sails today from my guest, Chris Schroeder, author of Headscape, How to how a Bald Guy Replanted His Hair and Restarted His Life. Chris, it's a, gr- it's a pleasure to have you on, brother. Ted, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I, I I mentioned the book and, of course, the title as, as author, but I know there's so much more to us than just our titles. So I always want to make sure that I give an opportunity for the guest and the audience to get acquainted with my without my interference. So please take the floor for a second and, and let the folks who are listening and watching here on YouTube uh, know who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Well, I um, I grew up in the newspaper business. Oh, do you remember newspapers? They used to print them on paper and throw them in your yard and Crazy idea. (laughs) But um, yeah, I used to work for I worked for six daily newspapers, including the Charlotte Observer, and then started my own neighborhood newspapers in Atlanta and then went in the public relations business for a little while. And uh, after I sold that PR firm, I um, and during that time, I went I started a digital uh, newsletter company. And uh, through all of that, uh, six cities, two marriages and uh, lots of good and interesting times. Uh, I was slowly losing my hair and I was totally bald for three decades. Mm, Wow. Now, I want to talk about that process because you share that and you kind of chronicle that in your book, Headscape. But this is something that a lot of guys don't talk about. And and I've had personal friends, even my friends, a, a group of them like to accentuate their baldness and, and they're trying to talk me into shaving my head. And I said, listen, my hairline's holding strong for now. But like if it starts, go, if it starts retreating, you know, I might have to just do the rest for it. But I guess my first question is, how come guys don't talk about this? I mean, so many of us deal with it, but we never kind of let that be the topic of conversation. I, you know, it's it's really difficult because men don't generally talk about their appearances. They might talk about athletics or their, you know, their big muscles or, you know, mm-hmm. what they're eating or drinking or what they're chasing. But they don't talk about their personal appearance and things that they're fearful about or maybe even shamed about. And, you know, on top of our heads, uh, at the very top forefront of our appearance and pre- presentation to people is our hair. And we're born with that and it helps distinguish it distinguish us and we become quite attached to it until it starts to become unattached to us. Mm. And then we start to worry about it. And then if you look at Reddit or many blogs, uh, you'll see all these men and women who are just nervous and fearful and kind of scared that their hair is leaving the top of their head. And they're wondering, how can I stop it? How can I fix it? And what's going to happen when it's all gone? (laughs) Yeah. And and this is something that it's visible and it's most likely visible to the person that's going through it, which is kind of contrary to for someone, for example, where hearing loss on average, you can go through hearing loss for seven years before it's noticed. And it's usually somebody else that notices it before you do. But when it comes to hair, I feel like it's something that's very personal to us, something that we see every day, we see in the mirror, or maybe we shower and and we put shampoo and there's some strains of hair in our, in our hand and we notice our hair thinning out. 
So we kind of see this inevitable process. And as you mentioned on those the Reddit forums for folks, folks that are kind of going through it, I, I guess pull back the curtains or, or roll back the timeline for us and talk a little bit about what your experience was like when you kind of noticed like, hey, you know, something's starting to look a little different up top. Well, Ted, my best hair day was in eighth grade when they took the uh, class pictures and was in the annual and um, actually seventh grade. And then eighth grade, my picture, I started to lose it already. I could see the widow's peak starting oh, to happen, wow. you know, this little island right here. And then 1819, still losing it. In fact, at my wedding at 22, my first wedding at 22, um, my good buddy uh, from college uh, in front of the whole wedding group um, grabbed this little tuft of hair that was floating in the middle of my forehead. This was right after the worst nuclear accident in American history called Three Mile Island. But he grabbed my hair and said, look, everybody, it's Two Mile Island. And um, so there I was in front of everybody. It's like and then and then in my 30s, I uh, went hiking and noticed I was getting sunburned on top of my head. And I realized I was doing the dreaded comb over mm. and uh, that I didn't have as much hair up top, but I was combing it over to hide it. And whenever I went swimming or, or the wind came by, I was proven, you know, otherwise. And so I finally just decided to shave my head. And it started as a nice little reverse mohawk, as I like to call it, um, and then just kind of crept down my head, the baldness did. And each time, I, each day, I would see more hair leaving and it bothered me. I just, it wasn't the person I thought I was going to be. I thought my hair was really one of the nicer parts of my body and my presentation. And so I became insecure about it for years. And I did not like looking at photographs of myself because I was the big, bright bulb in the photo, or I didn't like walking by storefronts and looking because it would be like, wait a minute, that's not me. So in my mid thirties, I was bald. And up until my um, 62nd year, I was bald until I changed everything. Yeah. I want to go back to that wedding day, the the two mile island joke, which I'm sure might have been, uh, you know, a hit for the room. But I mean, let's let's be honest for a second for any guy or anyone who's the butt of that joke, you know, like, man, how did how did that feel? Well, it um, you know, it just kind of was a little bit of a poke, a little bit of a hook into me. And, I, you know, I watch um, these shows on TV and they talk about men and they and, and, and in real life and women will say, oh, you know, when describing a guy, oh, you know, they'll say he's tall, dark or handsome or he's got great hair. They never say, you know, oh, uh, he's a great looking. Uh, he's got a great bald head. They usually don't say that. And then I was watching um, this sitcom the other night uh, on uh, Netflix and they, they're like, you know, this um, Jane Fonda hadn't seen her old boyfriend in a decade or two. And Lily Tomlin was like, hey, what's the worst that can happen to him? He might be bald. That's the worst. Right. And I was like, hey, hey, hey. So I felt like, you know, and it was really self-imposed. It was really my insecurity. It was really my self-consciousness. Mm -hmm. Other people looked at me. I thought they were cataloging me. And the first thing they would think was bald. And really, what I this whole process that I went through restoring my hair from the side of my head and moved it back to the top and then presenting myself back to people and they hadn't seen me in a long time. They looked at me and the whole process really kind of proved that it was really my thing. It, you know, I was self-conscious about something about my body 
that I thought was the, the number one thing that most people thought. And sure, some people thought that, but it was a bigger thing to me than to other people. And yeah. but guys don't want to talk about it. Joe Biden refused to take questions about it 20 years ago. Elon Musk won't talk about it. You know, Elton John didn't talk about it years ago. A lot of people, it's just something it seems unmanly or it seems like a, a weakness that men mm -hmm. want to overcome, but they don't want to address and don't want to talk about it. Yeah, we really uh, we we can't heal what we don't reveal, right? And if we're kind of hiding in the shadows of, of really what we are feeling, we never really get to that process of doing the work and getting to the other side. You mentioned well, how big of an issue this is. Uh, please. To, to answer your question, when he said that, it was a joke, but I was the butt of the joke. And I was like, you know, Arr. well, in the book, I show his photograph today, and he lost more hair than I did. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, I listen. <laughs> Paybacks are hell. Yeah. Hey, that was a punchline. Decades coming, brother. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. But like, this is an issue, right? And and it's it's one that a lot of guys are probably experiencing and going through. How big of an issue is this really? Like, how many guys are probably uh, going through hair loss or or dealing with maybe the insecurities around being bald? Well, it happens to be um, you know male pattern baldness and the actual extensive loss of hair is genetic, but it's not that old wives tale that we thought. It's not your mom's dad. If he was bald, you're going to be bald. That's what they used to say, but that's not true at all. My mom's dad had a full head of hair. My dad's dad didn't have any hair, but it's, it's um, through the years, um, probably 30 to 40% of men um, start losing their hair in, in their, you know, twenties and thirties and forties. And uh, it happens on a lot of basis, including women as well. But the full male pardon, uh, pattern baldness happens primarily with four or five genetic pools that, you know, are prevalently Northern European, mm -hmm. um, African, Middle uh, Asian, and then some South American. And so there are a lot of cultures where uh, men have full heads of hair and others where they are a, a larger amount of them go through a balding process. And it all is about DNA, what they found out later in the last 10 or 20 years, which is fascinating. It's not the DNA so much in your body or the genetics of your grandparents. It's actually the DNA that is in the actual hair follicles that are on the top of your head. And the hair on the side of your head has a different DNA makeup than the hair on top of your head. And in certain DNA uh, on top of your head, it interacts with testosterone and another chemical in your body, and it dries up the follicles and the hair falls out. Whereas on the side of your head, it will stay there. And uh, I call that the Julius Caesar, um, you know, crown, the laurel leaf uh, kind of crown. And so um, what they found, and that changed uh, two or three things really changed the industry one of which they discovered that DNA difference and that you can move this hair from the side of your head to the top of your head and it will not fall out, which is remarkable. And the other part with the tools that they now have are much more advanced than they used to have. They used to cut it off in strips and move it or do big plugs or comb overs, or as you'll remember in the uh, 1700s, you know, when I was alive, um, they had the powdered wigs and, uh, and you know, at least we don't wear the hot powdered wigs anymore. Yeah. Let's talk about when, um, well, actually, before we go with the transition of, of when you ended up kind of getting back to your full head of hair, I, I guess the emotional impacts, how did baldness 
impact the way you carried yourself, maybe your social interactions, business interactions, because this could extend more than just how we view ourselves. It could actually lead into how we behave. Yes, it, it actually gave me some insecurity. And I felt like I was a little bit inferior to other men um, because of this big prominent dome on top of my head. And so when I re-entered the dating world in my mid-30s, I was really insecure because I felt I would look at women and look and and introduce myself and I would think they're thinking I'm bald and you know I'm not for them and it, it would just eat at me. And so it um it really kind of really kind of bothered me and I just thought there was no cure for it and I it also impacted my business sense because um I was primarily for many years a reporter and an editor and things like that but when I got into marketing and now into sales I was uh, going in and I was meeting uh, my primary audience that I sell my business to, my newsletter company. I go and call upon primarily women in their 30s and 40s age group who own their own PR firms. And I would walk in and I would, before I'd walk in, you know, that little voice in my head would say, she's going to think two things. You're old and you're bald. And mm. And uh, I got to get over that. So sales is overcoming obstacles. And one of the biggest obstacles was in my own head. What was, I guess, the catalyst or what made you decide to go to Istanbul, Turkey? And why Istanbul, Turkey? Well, I, you know, I, one of the dates I used to, one, one woman was a girlfriend for a couple of years and I was uh, dating and uh, I was describing to a guy on a phone call, I was going to meet for lunch the next day, how he would recognize me in the restaurant. And I, um, I was like, oh, you know, I'm 6'1", I'm, um, I've got brown hair, I'm balding. And my girlfriend started laughing. I'm like, what? And she goes, honey, sweetie, you're not balding, you are bald. I'm like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> so, you know, it was just one comment after another that I kind of chronicle in the book. And I, um, I... When I got married the second time in my mid 40s, I started walking down the street to a barbershop near her house. And um, I walked in and the first day I sat down in his barber chair, the, the barber, Kevin, said, the back of your head and the side of your head, the hair is so thick, you should become one of my special clients. I take men to Istanbul, Turkey and get their hair transplant. And you have so much hair here and none on top of your head we could move it. And I was like, Oh, Kevin, I'm too old for that. That's just silly. I don't trust the process. You know, it's, I've seen too many bad experiences with people that they always wear a cap because they don't want to show what happened with their hair. And he goes, no, 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 it's all changed. It's different. And Turkey and Istanbul is the, is more advanced than any other medical community in the world because the doctors have been competing for this process for 30 years and they've advanced the techniques further than most people. And they've also made it extremely affordable. And so he would, this carried on for five, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And then um, finally I was, um, I sold my PR firm and I was getting ready to go back out on the road. And he caught me at a weak moment. And I came home and I told my wife, I was like, yeah, Kevin, once again, said I should move my hair. And, you know, I just, you know, told him this is silly. I'm too old for that. And my wife said, you know, that would be interesting. And I was like, what? And mm -hmm. she said, you know, I've never seen you with hair before. And uh, I made a joke to my buddies. I said, uh, my wife had a big birthday coming up. And she said, you know, I asked her what she wanted. And she said, the one thing that she really wanted was for once in her life before she died, she wanted to be able to make love to a guy with a full head of hair. 
And one of my buddies said, give her my number. (laughs) (laughs) But you had other plans. (laughs) So anyway, when she said, oh, that sounds interesting. I started thinking, really? And we started researching it and looking at the before and after. And I started talking to people who had been with Kevin, the barber to Istanbul. And I became more comfortable with the process. And then within a matter of weeks, I said, I'll do it. And so um, I made a decision and my friends thought I was crazy. My uh, my children thought they can remember me with hair. They were young. And uh, but I had two friends who were doctors or uh, in the healthcare community and all two or three of them recommended against it. They're like, no, do not do this. I, I think this is going to end poorly. Uh, this is not a good idea. And they really try to talk me out of it. But I was just like, you know what? Why not? I've been bald for 30 years. Let's try something different. And um, and I'm really glad I did. What was your identity um, beforehand? And how did your identity change after the transplant? Because you just mentioned, you know, 30, 30 years, you know, this was your reality. And sure, maybe, you know, jokes like at your wedding and some of the jokes like the girlfriend saying you are bald could probably sting a little bit. But after some time, you might get callous to it and just kind of accept it. But how was your identity before the transplant? And then afterwards, what was that transition like? Well, I, as time went on, I lost more hair and I had a little bit of less Julius Caesar, you know, uh, laurel leaf around my head. So I really just got to hate photographs. And I would cut off selfies at my forehead and I would try to crop photographs. So I wouldn't, my top of my head wouldn't be in it. I just didn't like those photographs. That was not me in that photograph. Who is that guy? And so uh, it was just my problem, my voice in my head. And so I just felt insecure about it and thought it was a weakness on my part, as if I was missing another part of my body. You know, it was just something that was uh, that most people had that I did not. And I just it was just became a thing in my head. And so I um, eventually uh, decided, you know, what the heck, why not give it a try? And so um, I my investment was $7,000. And that got me air flight nonstop to Istanbul, a great hotel for five nights, restaurants that Kevin took us to, tours of all the great uh, places in Istanbul, which is a beautiful city, and the surgery. Hmm. And for that, um, it changed my life and was interesting because throughout Istanbul, um, I kept bumping into other men who were there at other clinics, they have 300 clinics there. There were men all over town who had their heads shaped until a very small amount so they could do the surgery. And then they were there for a couple of days afterwards for you know a, a medical check before they left. And then going to the airport, there were men from other countries. We didn't speak the same language, but we all were doing the same thing. We were all going back to our different countries from where we came. And we were all going back a different person than we were, looking different and, and more important, feeling different. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I would say, what was what was that reveal like? Where you mentioned people who haven't seen you for years or after this, or the first time your wife saw you with the hair. Well, what was I, that I, like? When I walked back in, I had a you know, pretty short cropped hair so they could move it, uh, but it was all over my head now. Um, when I first walked in and opened the front door, she looked at me and she was like, wow, you look cool. And I'm like, I know, I kind of look like Bruce Willis. And she said, not that cool. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it down a couple of notches. <laughs> huh? 
but as it grew and I grew it, baby, I, uh, I said, I'm not cutting this hair for a full 365 day year. I'm gonna let it go for a full year. And uh, often in these surgeries, it actually, the hair follicles might fall out in the first two or three weeks because they've been through all that trauma of, of, of being transplanted. But my hair, it was so happy to be up there. It never fell out. And it just grew, 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 grew. So at the end of a year, my, my wife was getting a little crazy. She goes, I, I was starting to look like a crazy old man territory I was entering. Um, but it was kind of way out here. And uh, so I finally went up to the barber and took and said, Kevin, give me a regular old haircut. And uh, he said, Chris, you look 20 years younger. And that's exactly what I said you would look when I told you when you first started telling you about it. And, um, you know, he kept saying that, but I thought he was just selling me still. Mm -hmm. But as it turns out, um, almost everybody I ran into and everybody I talked to, they would look at me, the people who knew me would look at me and kind of go, wow, you look great. Um, did you, do you have, uh, you know, a facelift or have you lost a lot of weight? Or, you know, one guy thought I had eye surgery. Um, nobody could figure out why I look so different, but they all ended up saying, you look so much younger. What is it? And I would say, you don't know. And they would mm. say, no, go, I'm no longer bald. And they were like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And, um, but what was funny is strangers, I would show my picture. They would say, how old are you? And I would tell them, and I would say, look at me three years ago when this picture of me with a bald head. And they would look at that and they would look at me and look at that. And they would say, you look 20 years younger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I knew I was going to look what I thought would be looking better. And I knew I would have feeling better and have more confidence, which I did. I kind of felt like, Having hair on top of my head, I can feel it all the time. I mean, I can touch it, but I can also just feel it up there. You know, it's not a it's not a slick, cold surface up there. I can mm -hmm. I feel some warmth up there. I feel some follicles up there. But it's kind of like after you work out for a few weeks or really kind of going through a routine, you're not traveling, but you're actually in the gym for three or four weeks and you just kind of have this little buzz about you. Mm -hmm. That was the buzz I had when the hair was growing out. I was like, this is the me I meant to be. This is the me I was going to be. And this is the me I want to be. I love that. I love that. What, um, I guess, what would you tell some guys who are probably going through some of that baldness right now? What words of encouragement, words of understanding, empathy would you well, offer anybody that's listening, going through it right now? It's, it's interesting because they may have a partner and uh, you can talk to your partner about it. You can talk to your doctors about it, but you can talk to your barber about it. You can also go on Amazon and, or to headscape.me and read my book. But it, it, what I would say is it's something that you don't want to talk about, but it's something you probably think about. I mean, I do talk to bald men and goes, I never think about myself being bald. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and, um, but you know, they, they just bury it. It's just, that's me, you know, or they'll shave their heads. Um, you know, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, he's got a full head of hair, but he shaves it um, and has for a couple of decades because he said his hair is a, a combination of an Afro and uh, a llama's ball sack hair. <laughs> and um, he goes, I hated my hair. I hated it. So I shave it. And so it's kind of funny what people think about themselves, but I would tell people who are balding, there are solutions. And there are ways to talk about this and, to you know, kind of just approach the subject rather than being so quiet about it. It's a subject that kind of nags at you. 
you should talk to your loved ones and to your friends. And some of them, you'll be surprised. They won't joke and poke you so much and just make fun of you. They will actually talk to you about it. And it's a it's an emotional situation that you can actually address. And the great thing is now, today, for very little comparative money, you can actually get excellent results and fix it in one day. That's amazing. I, I was going to ask when you mentioned the seven thousand dollar investment for for everything you got. I mean, I know people who spend that on on a week vacation, right? And and yeah. they they probably do that whether it be quarterly, once a year, or something. So again, it could be a very reasonable investment. When it came time for the transplant, what was that process like? The kind of getting admitted. The did they put you under? Were you awake? And you know, was it quote unquote painful? And how long was the the process before your home and rubbing your hair in the mirror, man? <laughs> so uh, I flew in on a Sunday and then on Monday, you go into the doctor's clinic and they closely shave your head so they can, um, you know, still extract the hair. And in the morning, they give you a local anesthetic on, on the sides of your head where they're going to take the hair out. And then they draw with a magic marker or a Sharpie. What's your hairline? Where do you want your hair to go? And, you know, they, this is the intended target. Mm -hmm. So in the morning for three hours, they sit there, three people sit around you. And with micro um, uh, razors, these little tools they have that are great these days, where they used to have to take out clumps of hair. Now they take out individual follicles mm -hmm. over three hours. They, they took 5,000 follicles out of the side of my head. And then they put them in a tray with a solution. And then they said, okay, we're breaking for lunch. I'm like, really? And uh, so I look over and there's a tray with all my hairs in it. And they said, they're your babies. And I was like, oh, and they kind of look like little salmon fillets sitting mm -hmm. in, you know, gauze and some solution on it. It's like, that's so strange. And then I have a great little Turkish lunch. And then at one o'clock, you sit back in the chair. And for three hours, three people sit there and plant the hair back in the top of your head after giving you local anesthesia in top of your head. So here's the amazing thing. People always say, how did it hurt? It must have hurt. And there are some people who say it did hurt them wherever they went for their clinic. Maybe it wasn't satisfactory. I didn't feel a thing. And the strange thing was I heard it. I could feel a little punch going in 5,000 times in the morning and 5,000 times in the afternoon. It sounded like a little pumpkin being punched, you know, with a, you're cutting an eye or something out of a pumpkin at Halloween. And um, they just sat there talking in Turkish and uh, some English and moving my hair. And when I first walked into the clinic, I was all, you know, nervous about it and but I realized they do this for a living. This is their job. And there are 300 clinics there. And they've these are very advanced technicians. And they're great people. And uh, they have a great record. And I walked in. And the first thing you see in their clinic was a poster, life-size poster of a stand-up of a guy. And he had three heads. And one head was uh, bald, the way he used to be. And one was in the middle where they had just transplanted. And the other head was a full head of hair. Mm -hmm. And the sign underneath it said, the uh, Fix Hair Clinic. And, you know, I stopped and took a picture of it. And I thought, for them, it's just a simple little thing. They Something's broke, they fix it. You got mm -hmm. a broken tire, fix it. You know, you got broken hair, we fix it. And for me, it was three decades of agony and, you know, worry and concern and self, you know, self-immolation, uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it was just like, for them, it's like, We'll get you in and out of here in no time. And, you know, it's 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 amazing that it didn't hurt, that it was so inexpensive uh, and it's cheaper in Istanbul. Maybe maybe, you know, 
five to 10 times cheaper than it is in America and in Canada, where it's most expensive to do this similar surgery. But um, it was so quick, so easy, it didn't hurt. I walked out and then you just begin and your life is different from then on. It really is weird. Yeah. How did your how did the hair transplant save your life? Well, it's an interesting question because, you know, I told you I don't like taking pictures of myself. I didn't. And uh, and particularly selfies. But when you come back, the doctor says, I want two pictures a day, morning and afternoon. I want photographs of you and your hair. I want to make sure nothing's getting infected, that nothing's red and it's growing out fine. And I would sit there and take pictures of myself and send them to him. And this was right as I came back. Uh, the pandemic started. And so I was kind of closeted in my house with my wife. But um, I was taking pictures faithfully every day and sending them to him. The funny thing was, on the third week, I noticed a brown spot on my shoulder. And I was like, was that in my earlier photographs? And I went back and took looked at the pictures I started sending him the first week, and that brown spot was not there. And I was like, that's weird. And so I sent it to my general practitioner. I said, do you think and he said, I would go to the dermatologist tomorrow. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. and I did. And the dermatologist took a biopsy and they um, said, uh, they came back and they said it was melanoma. And so I got Mohs surgery there and they got all the melanoma out of my shoulder because as a kid, I sunbathed you know, every day in the sun. That was what we did. Um, and um, when I went to the get the surgery done, I told the uh, surgeon about this spot at the end of my nose that I'd always worried about, but that dermatologists for years had dismissed as a freckle. But she said, no, I would go in and get that, go in tomorrow to that dermatologist and say, I want this one biopsied today. And the dermatologist was kind of like, eh, but we'll do it. And they took a slice and they sent it off and it was melanoma. And so... I got all the melanoma out of the two spots. I don't have it anywhere else. And But had it not been for those photographs that I had to send to my doctor twice a day and look at myself in photographs I didn't care to before, I never would have discovered my melanoma. And I literally think getting my hair transplanted and going through the whole process saved my life. That's amazing. Chris, the, the, the book is Headscape, and you, you detail a lot of this um like you mentioned from your best hair day in the seventh grade all the way up until when you had the hair transplant um what's the most impactful or maybe the most significant moment of that journey that sticks with you today well i um don't want to uh give away some of the scenes in the book but i think um there were just a couple of scenes where people would look at me and say things to me and i would think Wow, that's that's even more dramatic of a difference than I would have expected. And I was just I was just completely amazed. And people still say this three, four years later to me that I look so much different. And it's just amazing to me that one little thing that I could actually get done in one day could make such a difference to me. And so um, but the, the I guess the biggest impact really is how I think about myself. It doesn't matter what other people think. And they really didn't think much about it, not near as much as I thought about it. And so the biggest impact is if you've got something that's nagging you about yourself, you can probably do something about it. And then when you do, it'll change your perspective about yourself. And then you'll emanate a different, you'll you'll just feel differently and you'll project yourself differently. And other people will perceive yourself differently just because 
you think about yourself differently and you have a lot more confidence. And so it may not be your hair. It may be a freckle. It may be a mole. It may be your overweight, whatever it is, we can fix things and we can actually have some impact on our life. And even though men don't like to talk about cosmetic changes, we can make them. And a lot, thousands and thousands and thousands of men are doing it from age 18 to uh, 55. Hardly anybody's doing it over age 60, but I did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Chris Schroeder, I want to make sure that folks listening and watching that that had a lot of fun with this conversation, have the ability to to pick up the book, have the ability to follow some of your work. So what's the best way to to pick up the book and, and get in contact with you? Well, Headscape is on Amazon and uh, it's also on my website, headscape.me. You know, it's all about me, M-E. And um, so people can see my blog there and they can also see resources to the clinic and to other clinics and other articles about hair transplant and just all the research. There's a lot of research in my book in addition to all the funny stories poking fun at myself. So uh, I think they'll enjoy it at headscape.me. I love it. And my, my last question is usually the deep one, the heavy one. And I always save it for the end. Um, uh, and it might be relative to the hair or or not. But what is something that has happened in your life or something that you've seen that kind of shapes the way you see the world as a man? Something in my life that causes me to think differently about how I face the world. Well, I, you know, I guess um, as you just become older and uh, go through life, I think it's uh it's interesting. I, I was reading something today about a, a CEO and a CFO talking and um, this the CEO and the CFO, the, the CFO looked at everything from a cost perspective and how, how much is it going to cost us to train our employees and to make this difference in them because they might leave. Now we'll, we'll lose that. And the CEO said, how much will it cost us if we don't train these employees and they stay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's all about improving yourself and thinking about yourself and every day making a little incremental change. And I guess I guess it all just taught me that even though I was older and I'm way out of the range of most people who change their hair, um, you can make a difference in your life at any age and on most aspects about it. And um, And so, you know, my wife is happier. I'm happier. And uh, I think, um, you know, I'm just happy to have this discussion with you. So thank you so much, Ted. It's an absolute pleasure, Chris. And I know that a lot of folks got pleasure from this. So I hope they pick up the book and they can kind of read the chronicles. And for anybody that's dealing with with the male pattern baldness themselves could probably get that kind of that inspiration from you to have that conversation with their spouse, their friends, their loved ones, a serious conversation where they're not going to be made fun of or the butt of a joke, but actually talk about what this is doing to their well-being because it shouldn't be so taboo and it shouldn't be so hard to discuss or talk about. And like you mentioned, while we might think this is a major problem in Istanbul, it's just like an oil change. They do it every day. So this has been hugely beneficial, Chris. I, I want to recap some of the things that, that you said, but but thank you for, for taking the time to not just share your story, but having the vulnerability and the courage to do so as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much. 
Absolutely. And, and the best hair day, a lot of us probably could remember that, right? But for the best hair day to be in the seventh grade, you know, how could it all go downhill from this? But Chris was not going to let that happen. His best days were yet to come. And the person I thought I was going to be, a lot of us end up living life. And then there are realities that we're faced with that we have a hard time accepting at times. We call that the expectation gap, right? We expected our lives to be one thing, but it wasn't quite that way. And it's going to be hard to overcome that sometimes. But a lot of times, those insecurities that we hold on to is all of our self-image. Others might not even see the things that we are so insecure about. For a minimum investment of $7,000, we can change that insecurity, identify ourselves the way we expect ourselves to be, or as Chris mentioned, you know, this is who I am meant to be. This is what I was expecting, and I was able to do it. And it's possible. If you start saving those pennies, for anyone that might be intimidated by that cost amount, it is very much possible to save that over the course of time. And then one little thing can change the way we think and look about ourselves. Don't let those little insecurities impact your day-to-day, -day, your job, your sales, your, your business. How you carry yourself in life is a reflection of how you view yourself. So if there's something that's nagging at you, go ahead and make that difference. And as Chris mentioned, you're never too old to make the difference. You can make that difference at any age. So let Chris be an inspiration on that as well. Chris, this has been amazingly beneficial. Thank you so much to the viewers and the watchers making it to the end. We thank you as well. Hopefully you got value from this. If you know somebody that should probably listen to this, gently share it with them if you can. And of course, also make sure you give us a, a, a like and subscribe so you can get a new episode each and every single week. Be sure to leave us a rating so we know where we can improve, what you like, what you don't like. The only way we get better is by hearing from you. And as we always say at the end of the episode, Everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow.